calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to episode 16 of South Coast, a shaman's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 34, Aram's Inlet, April 10, 2305. Jimmy stared hard at the numbers. So what are your projections, Bill? Billy sighed. The landings are declining very, very slowly. The model and reality just don't match exactly. So we're not going to make quota? If we continue sliding at this rate, we're going to miss it by 5 to 6%, Billy said. Of course, it's only been three weeks or so. They could stabilize or even increase. Or it could continue dropping, Jimmy noted. Billy just shrugged. Yeah, it could drop faster, too. Jimmy grimaced. That's a chance we have to take. We're a lot closer than we would have been if we'd kept fishing the full fleet every day. So how do we pick up another hundred megatons? Crabs, Billy said. It requires specialized equipment, but it's easy to fabricate, works reliably, and can be done along the coastal waters using small craft boat models very cheaply. Processing's another issue, but that's probably the best bet. The stocks are huge, the investment is low, and the market demand is very high. But Casey said the landings per day were really small. Yeah, well, a ton a day is a lot more than nothing. With 200 days left in the season, a crabber might get 200 tons by the end of October. Five boats would be a metric kiloton. 5,000 is only a little more than one per village, and that's a metric megaton, he shrugged. You got 40,000 boats sitting idle on any given day. Jimmy sighed. Oh, it's better than nothing, and something we could look into while we see whether or not the summer slump deepens. He looked at the boy, shifting uneasily in his chair. You done good, Bill, he assured him. We're a lot closer than we would have been if we kept going the way we were. The model, he started to say, but ran out of steam. The model is the model. It breaks down. It's better than nothing, but I never count on the model until I've tested it in the world, Jimmy said. Grabbing may not get us the quota, but it's going to be more than nothing, which is what we got now. I'm kicking myself for not diversifying before this. Billy bobbed his head in a combination of thanks and embarrassment. There's another fishery you should look at for long-term, possibly short-term as well. Jimmy arched an eyebrow. Yeah? Long lining for coastal fish for short-term, mussel cultivation for long. Mussels freeze well after processing, and cultivation can be done in relatively large scale without a lot of investment in time. It's definitely a longer-term proposition, but when we can grow the product and know where it is, 
makes it a lot easier to find and catch. True enough. We have to survive this year first. Tell me about longlining. Well, a longline is just a big fishing line with hooks on it. You bait it, lay it out, leave it. Come back later, pull it up. Take the fish, rebait the hooks, put it back over the side. I'm familiar with the technique, Jimmy said with a grin. Billy blushed. Of course. Anyway, there's coastal species in sufficient quantities that could be harvested. Jace, mullion, arval, pintos. They're good fish, solid flesh, good flavor. It could be a specialty market because nobody's harvesting them in commercial quantities. What are the population stocks? Well, they're equal to whitefish and muda. Same problem as crabbing. Not as easy to get a boatful as with the deep water schools. They're roamers and loners. That's why the long lines work well. What are you recommending? Jimmy asked. Follow up with crabbing and long lining in parallel. I got a couple of friends here who have small trout lines that know a thing or two about laying a line out. If you want, I can run up a prototype and we can see what damage a single boat can do. You going to use one of the draggers? He asked. Billy shook his head. Now, we got small boats down in the yard. One of the 10-meter utility boats would make a good test boat. Cheap to build, economical to run, and they'll take a 5 metric ton cargo without blinking. They'd make a good crabbing platform, too, come to think of it. Who knows crabbing, he asked. Billy shook his head. I don't know. Nobody I know here in the inlet does. Jimmy thought about it for about three ticks, and then, nodding, said, Okay, well, set up the prototype. Fish it for a week. See what you get. We got... He consulted a counter on his computer. Just over 200 days to make quota. If we're going to make a difference, we need something we can roll out fast. Longlining sounds likely. If we divert some of the extra people we got out dragging, that could pay off. Billy said, just leave the lines two days. Drag one day, longline the next. The yards can spit those utility boats out about three a day. We can use the draggers to service the lines if they're scaled up enough to make it worthwhile. That's a good idea. Keep thinking, Bill. Billy got up and headed back to his office. Let me get this thing running then, and I'll let you know when I find out. Jimmy pinged Carruthers. If you wanted 20 kilos of crab, who would you call, he asked. Mary Murray, over at Callum's Cove, he answered, without a beat. Thanks, Carruthers. Jimmy rang off and placed a call to Alan Thomas. It was time to take a road trip. Three stands later, Jimmy was settling his private flitter down at the Pirano Pad in Callum's Cove. Alan was waiting for him as he stepped out of the vehicle and shook his hand warmly. Jimmy, good to see you, he called, taking Jimmy's hand in both of his. Jimmy grinned. Good to see you too, Alan. Last time was up in Fairfax. How'd you make out with that farmer woman? Joan? Joan Armstrong? he asked, the color rising on the back of his neck. Yeah, that was her name. Jimmy grinned. She's a good dancer, Alan said with a small smile. He changed the subject. Mary's at the pub this time of day. She said to come on over and we can talk there if that's okay. I don't want a big crowd, Alan, Jimmy said cautiously. Oh, I'll be okay, Jimmy, Alan assured him. You want to talk to her about crabs? Yeah, she seems the resident expert in catching crabs. Alan looked quizzical, but he didn't ask any more questions, just led the way to the gurry butt. When Jimmy stepped in out of the afternoon sun dazzle, it took him a tick to adjust to the light. He blinked as he moved slowly into the room. The aroma of good beer filled the place, along with the smell of leather and wood polish, and an unmistakable tang that marked the place as a fisherman's hangout. It wasn't a bad smell, just distinctive. Part sweat, part fish, and part... Something else that Jimmy knew only too well but was never able to name. A man and a woman, both on the sun-stained skin of people who worked on the water, were having a quiet pint in the corner. The man raised his glass in salute to Alan, who waved back on his way to the bar. With only half the boats out at a time, Jimmy would have supposed there'd been more people, but then it was early, and, even at the inlet, most people would be working at this hour. Alan led the way to the bar and levered a leg over the second stool from the end, and Jimmy settled next to him. 
The woman behind the counter had a ready smile and graying hair. Her eyes were direct, but neither challenged nor bowed to Jimmy. Her expression left him no doubt that she knew who he was, but it didn't seem to faze her one way or the other. "'Good afternoon, gentlemen,' she said with a half-smile. "'Can I get you something to drink while we chat?' Alan said, "'Why, thank you, Mary. I'd like a pint of the porter, and pour yourself a dram on me, if you'd like.' She looked at Jimmy and raised one eyebrow, waiting, without speaking. "'Do you have a medium lager, perhaps a wheat beer?' he asked. "'Both, Mr. P.,' she said. "'I'd recommend the wheat. Jace's latest batch is very good. "'Wheat it is, then, Mary, and please call me Jimmy.' "'Coming right up, then, and I thank you, Alan, but I'll stick to tea for now. "'It'll be a long afternoon and evening, I'm thinking.' "'Add it to the tab, then, and treat yourself tonight when you can finally enjoy it,' Alan said with a grin. She grinned back, and Jimmy found himself liking this no-nonsense woman. She pulled the two beers and brought them down the bar, placing them carefully. She waited for them to take their first appreciative sips before asking. "'So, how can I help you, Jimmy?' "'Well, Mary, I want to know about catching crabs.' You seem to be the expert on the matter on this part of the South Coast, so I thought I'd come direct to the source. She grinned. Flattery will help your cause, Jimmy. Don't stop now. So, what do you want to know? Catching them isn't any great difficulty or secret. We're exploring new fisheries. We want to diversify the landing so we're not just reliant on one kind of fish for our landings, he told her. She sipped her tea for a tick or two. Okay, there's three kinds of crabs here, she began. A short stand and a long beer later. Mary ran out of things to tell them about crabs. Jimmy felt like he just had the graduate degree program in crab fishery. She'd covered the life cycle, relative population densities, and offered advice on where to take each kind. I use a flat crab net here, she said. Just a ring of metal, a scrap of net, and a ring of steel. Small float to keep the lines clear. But for an untended pot, you'll want to have an enclosed crab trap. Easy to make. The directions are on the planet net, actually. All right, Jimmy said. I need somebody to work on this full-time, somebody who can work out the details for how to put together a boat and make the traps and try it out for a bit to see how it works. Are you interested? Mary laughed and shook her head. I got a job right here, Jimmy. doesn't leave a lot of time, and I kind of like working with my Jace. We're a team. Jimmy grinned. I can appreciate that, he said. You know anybody here that'd be interested? She squinted her eyes and thought for a tick or two and said, Well, the one person who's shown any interest in crabbing lately is Otto Krug. Last fall, we spent a good amount of time playing in the shallows and catching crabs. He even knit himself a net. Keeps up, too. I've seen him catching crabs off the pier this spring. Would he do it? Jimmy asked. Alan leaned over and said, Otto's only 14. Might want to go with somebody a little older and knows about boats. Jimmy sidetracked then, catching the name Krug. Any relation to the shaman got stung by the boxfish? Otto's his son. How's he doing? Jimmy asked. He's good. Made a full recovery, near as we can tell. That was about the time we started the new even-odd schedule, so he didn't go back out. He's been staying close to home, walking the beaches and carving a lot of welties. Nothing like a little near-death experience to make you appreciate not dying, Mary pointed out. He and Otto are quite a pair these days. We seldom see one without the other. Alan said, Otto's been learning the shaman business. He's a nice kid. He'd make a good shaman. Mary snorted. I wouldn't be too sure who's teaching who with that pair. Richard, bless his heart, got the title from his dad. But there was times I wonder if that barstool didn't have more gift. Alan chuckled. Well, there is that. Otto's the real deal, Mary went on. Personally, I think his father's the one doing the learning. Since he got out of the pod, he's been a lot more shamanly, if you know what I mean. Jimmy chewed on that for a bit and considered going for a third pint. You know who I'd ask? Mary said at last. Alan answered. Rachel. She nodded sagely. That's one shrewd woman, Rachel Krug. She grew up here. Used to be a pie. Got her mate's ticket just before she got married. 
Rachel didn't hold with having to go to sea, so she moved a terminal into the cottage, and she'd been doing market analysis for Alan here ever since. She's damn good, too, Alan agreed. She finds stuff. I have no idea where. Made us some good money over the Stanyards. When we had that big push last fall, she went on as mate, but she hasn't gone back out since the accident. She stays pretty close to home, and I get the feeling it's more to keep an eye on Richard. I thought you said he was okay, Jimmy said. Marion and Alan traded a glance. Well, he is, but he's still doing physical therapy, and he goes to the clinic for evaluation every week. He's different now, Alan said. Jimmy let that digest and decided he'd have a third beer after clearing away the first two. By the time he got back from the head, the first of the afternoon's boats had come in, and the place was beginning to fill up. Mary was taken up by waiting on the patrons, and Chase came out of the back to give a hand as the pub filled up with fishermen. He lingered over his beer for a while, hunched over it, and not hiding exactly, but not making a production out of showing his face around. Alan leaned in and murmured, "'Rachel'd be good. Knows her way around the water. Fished here since she was a girl. Got good roots. Her mother went up to the orbital to be a cargo broker when her old man died.' Jimmy raised his eyebrows. Think that's where the good deals are coming from? he asked. Alan shrugged and took another pull from his beer. Dunno, he said at last. But if you're looking for somebody to develop a market, Rachel's got the connections that go from the waterfront to the cargo buyer. I was thinking the same thing, Jimmy replied. He drained his glass and slid it across the bar. Thanks, Mary, he said, above the growing hubbub, and slipped off the stool. Let's go talk to Rachel, he said to Alan. As Alan slipped from his stool, Mary brought the tab. Jimmy grabbed it and threw a hundred-cred tip on it, thumbed it. Mary smiled and said, Very generous, Jimmy, thank you. He made a self-deprecating face and said, Nah, I'm on an expense account and I know a guy in accounting. He'll prove it. She laughed and said, Well, come back any time and bring your friend from accounting. Jimmy was still chuckling as he stepped out into the late afternoon sun with Alan behind him. Caleb's Grove was a true village. Jimmy admired the stonework and the narrow streets. While Aram's Inlet was no bustling metropolis like Port St. Cloud or even Fairfax, it was still bigger than Caleb's Cove. Having the Pirano headquarters there helped, as did the yard and processing plants. By comparison, Caleb's Cove was a sleepy backwater. The streets were well-kept and free from wind-blown litter. The window boxes were just showing early shoots, and small flower gardens scattered here and there were showing off drifts of daffodils and hyacinths. A bit past prime, but still pretty. Now, this is a nice place. I see why you like it here, Alan. Jimmy commented. Alan smiled. Yeah, it gets kind of small sometimes, but it's home. The Krugs live out on the edge of the village at the base of the headland. Alan nodded in that direction. Is it okay to just drop in? Jimmy asked. Alan shrugged. Let me check. He pulled out his pita and sent a message to Rachel through the office. Jimmy stood and basked in the warming sun and watched the fleet dribble into port. The harbor seemed already full, but Jimmy thought that was only because half the fleet never went out. She's putting the kettle on, Alan announced. What'd you tell her? Just that I wanted to come out to visit her about a business matter, and I was bringing a colleague, he said. You should have said it was me. Jimmy's voice held a note of reproof. Alan grinned. Yeah, she's going to kill me. That amuses you, Jimmy asked with a chuckle as they headed down the lane. Oh, she'll get even, he said. It's a small town, Jimmy, but this is what we do for entertainment. Jimmy laughed and enjoyed the stroll out to the shaman's cottage. Chapter 35, Calum's Cove, April 10, 2305. Rachel was curious. In the first place, Alan never came to her to talk business. Sure, technically he was her boss, but they communicated on the net, and once a month or so they'd get together in the office. In the second place, 
colleague? Rachel had no idea who he could be bringing, but she put the kettle on and put together a tray of cookies. Richard and Otto were out on Sandy Long again. She glanced at the chrono and realized she needed to start dinner soon, too. She looked out the window and didn't see Alan coming, so she washed some potatoes and put them in the oven to bake. She added a couple extra, just in case. There was always plenty of fish. The kettle came to boil and she put on a pot of tea to steep. Two ticks later, she heard voices outside the door. Opened to welcome Alan and Jimmy Pirano, she blurted. He chuckled. Hello, Rachel Krug, I presume, he said. She shot daggers at Alan, but smiled and welcomed them into the cozy cottage. As Jimmy slipped in by her, he thought he heard her say, I'll get you for this, but he pretended not to notice. Alan, for his part, had a huge grin. We can go into the living room, she offered, but you might find the kitchen comfier. Alan said, Kitchen is good, Rachel. We just came to talk. Jimmy here has a problem, and he's looking for some help. She brought the tea things to the table, and they all settled onto the kitchen chairs. When the preliminaries were over, Rachel asked, So? When we get over this quota crisis, Jimmy said without preamble, I want to diversify our fisheries. She nodded for him to go on. We focused all our efforts on the draggers out on the banks and the grounds, and there's lots of fish stocks here that we could be developing as a marketable product. That's not going to happen soon. If we don't make quota, it may not happen ever. I've been watching the landing, she said. You've got a little slippage. Jimmy grimaced. Yeah. We need to develop something short-term that can give us another 50 megatons by the end of the summer, but that's not why I'm here. He paused to gauge her response. She held her teacup in front of her face, the fingertips of both hands just cradling the cup so the warm mists wreathed her nose. You've got my attention, Mr. Pirano, she said with a slight smile. Jimmy, he said. Jimmy, she replied. One of the fisheries we want to develop is crab. Good choice, she said with a small nod. Premium product, not readily available on this end of the sector. And how do I fit into your crabby planning, she asked. We need to know if it's viable, even possible. We need to develop the equipment, either build it or buy it, whatever we need to do. But short term, I need somebody to start fishing for crab and see what that would look like. She was thinking. Jimmy could see it in her eyes. What do you want me to do, she asked. I want you to start fishing for crab. That took her by surprise. I don't know anything about crabs. Actually, you already know more than me, Jimmy said. Nobody on the South Coast knows whether this will work or not. We came here to talk with Mary Murray. She's the closest thing we have to a local crab expert. Oh, yes, Mary something with seafood. Otto's learned a lot from her while Richard and I were out fishing. How is your husband, by the way, Jimmy asked. Making a full recovery, she said, with a warmer smile. It was scary there, but... Nothing like nearly losing somebody to make you really appreciate them, eh? Believe me when I say I was so relieved to hear he'd survived, Jimmy said. Alan broke in. We've been talking to Mary all afternoon. We want to try it someplace close to the inlet so we can stay on top of it. Mary's forgotten more about crabs than all of us know put together. She knows what we want to do, but can't take it on herself because of the pub. We asked her who she'd recommend, and she said you. Really? That took her by surprise. Alan ticked off the reasons on his fingers. You're a fisherman. You know the local waters. You're known here in the village. You are a great market analyst, so you'll be able to actually do something with the catch. My mother's a cargo broker, you mean, she said. Well, that too, he admitted, with an unabashed grin. She looked back at Jimmy. I don't know what I need. I know the basics of how to catch a crab or two, but catching tons of crabs? She shook her head. Nobody on the planet does unless it's Mary Murray, Jimmy asserted. That's why we want somebody here to do it. With Mary right here to ask, it's going to be much easier to figure out how this needs to work. And besides, Mary suggested you. Because of Richard, she asked gently. 
Alan chuckled. Partly, but mostly because of Otto. Mary thought he was a pretty talented crabber. But he's only 14, she said. Yes, Alan said. He'd make a great deckhand. She grinned at that. He'd like that. If I can get him away from Richard. Our vision for this, Jimmy says, is that we're looking for some kind of local fishery. Something you can do in an afternoon, maybe. We don't really know the scale of it. That's what we need you to determine. Figure out what you want to try out. Tell Alan. He'll get it. You try it. And then we see what we got at the end of the season. If it works out, we'll have all winter to supply the other villages along the south coast. If not, we'll have learned something and it's a valuable lesson. We can give you some time to think about it, Alan said. Yes, Rachel replied. How much time would you like? Jimmy asked. No, I mean, yes, I'll do it, she said. I don't need to think about it. It was Jimmy's turn to blink in astonishment. I didn't mean to rush you into it. Oh, you didn't. It makes perfect sense. It sounds like fun. It needs to be here so Mary can help, and I kind of like the idea of fiddling around in the bay so I can work with Otto, and maybe even Richard. Excellent, Jimmy said and started to rise. I have some stipulations, Rachel said. Jimmy sat back down and nodded. Go ahead. I need a budget to include development expenses, salary, and benefits for three people at the skipper, mate, and crew levels. I'm going to need a boat, and when I figure out what kind, I expect it to be delivered here. I'm not going to go get it. Jimmy grinned. Done. Anything else? Rachel thought for a tick. No. At the end of the season, we'll talk again. This is a one-season contract, and it expires on October 31 of this year. At that point, we renegotiate for the coming year based on what we learn between now and then. Alan smirked, and Jimmy grinned. Deal, he said. He stood, spit in his hand, and held it out. Alan, you're the witness. Give her whatever she wants. Rachel stood, spit in her own hand, and shook Jimmy's firmly. I get this written up and send it to your office so we can keep the lawyers happy, she said. Would you like to stay for dinner? He glanced at his chrono. No, I need to get back to the inlet tonight. If I leave now, I can get back before it's too late. I still got things to do there. They all stood and headed for the door. Rachel opened it for them, and the two men took their polite departure. I'm still going to get you, she hissed at Alan as he slipped out the door. She heard them chuckling as she closed the door again. Glancing at the chrono herself, she figured she had time to do a little crabbing research before dinner. Their visit, for all its impact, had been amazingly brief. As they moved away from the house, Alan and Jimmy heard the rattling of Otto's staff before he stepped around the corner of the house. His father, wearing a deep red poncho with elaborate embroidery, was right behind him. Alan's eyes widened when they saw Richard. He looked somehow different. This was not the same man that Alan had known and dealt with for decades. It was as if he were more solid, more there. It wasn't just the poncho. Alan recognized it as Benjamin's. It was partly the poncho, but partly something in his eyes. They smiled, and Richard's eyes had never, in his memory, smiled. Hello, Alan, Richard said. Hello, Jimmy. We've never met, but I'm Richard Krug, the shaman here. He held out his hand. Jimmy took it and smiled. I'm glad to see you up and about, he said. Instead of in a box, no happier than I, he joked with an easy grin. Have you met my son Otto? Otto stepped forward, his walking stick rattling as he moved, and clattering gently even when he wasn't because of the breezes. Pleased to meet you, sir, he said. I have something for you. Alan was still looking at Richard, so he caught the surprise and pride registering in his face. He looked in time to see Jimmy accept a welkie from Otto's hand. It was a seabird of some kind, but he didn't get a good look at it. Jimmy's hands held it from view. Thank you, Jimmy said. I'll treasure it. Otto cocked his head a bit. You need it. And you're welcome. Otto, Richard said, we should probably let them get back to the village. I'm sure they have more business to discuss. Of course, father, Otto agreed, and stepped back, his staff making a soft, tinkling sound. 
Good night, Richard, Otto, Alan said. Nice to meet you both, Jimmy added. And they headed on down the lane toward the village, while Richard and Otto headed into the kitchen. Thanks for listening to South Coast, a shaman's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from Wish by Rafael Garcia Perdigon. Available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandis.org golden. <laughs>